You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, New York Giants fans. Ed Valentine and Emily Iannacone of Big Blue View here on a victory Monday for your New York Giants as we get to talk about a 13-7 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and it's it, it's always, always fun to talk about beating the Eagles. <laughs> so uh, I see a smile on your face this morning, Em, as we're, as we're on both YouTube and and the uh, the Valentine's Views podcast. So, Em, I do see a smile on your face. So uh, I, I assume you're in a good mood this morning. Yeah, I think we have actually a lot to be excited about on this Victory Monday. It was following a long weekend in the holiday, and that was a surprising win I thought the Giants pulled off yesterday. You know, I will I will pound my chest and and say that I was the only member of the Big Blue View staff oh, to pick the Giants to win. You did, al- al- although although I was a bit sneaky about it. I'll have to admit because if you read the interview I did at Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation's Eagle mm-hmm. site with Brandon Lee Gouton, I admitted why I picked the Giants to win. Uh-oh. And I picked the Giants to win for the simple reason that I would have been completely embarrassed if no one on the Big Blue View staff had had the courage to pick the Giants because no one else on staff picked the Giants. Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a, you know, slam your fist on the table and say, I know the Giants are going to win. It was somebody on this staff has to pick the Giants. Well, that's fair, especially because the Eagles were kind of trending upwards entering yesterday's game, but they're still clearly a really vulnerable team. So I understand why you felt like someone, if anyone, had to root for the Giants yesterday. And you were right. So Hey, that that makes it even better. But but <laughs> Emmett, as as we record this show, I have to say. I'm deeply disappointed in you this morning. <laughs> Where is your towel? Where is your towel? It's right. It's right here. I can get it. <laughs> go come. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I can get it. It's literally right here. <laughs> here we there go. We, there we go. The straight in 92 towel. Number 92, waving it in you, the air all day yesterday. There you go. All right. See, I I, I, I expected you to show up representing this morning, and, 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 and I was disappointed. I know. I'm so you know what it is? It's so funny when whenever they hand out towels before a game, 
my dad every time goes, oh no, we never play well when there are towels. I wish there were official statistics on towel games because my dad always says, he's like, oh, there's a towel. We're going to play badly today. So usually I'm not proud of the towel. Like I kind of put it in my pocket and I'm like, I probably won't need this. But yesterday we really did like the atmosphere yesterday. I remember at one point just looking around at a stadium that was not full. I, we should say, but just taking it all in and seeing all the towels. I was like, this is actually kind of exciting. You know, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing. And because anybody that read big blue view during the week knows that, that I said during the week that I thought that Michael Strahan was going to get booed at halftime during that the re, the Jersey retirement ceremony mm-hmm. because I thought the stadium was going to be overrun by Eagles fans because let's be honest, I've seen that happen before when things weren't going well for the Giants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was pleasantly surprised at the beginning of the game, although – I don't know. The stadium was maybe two thirds full. Yeah. But I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that it was obviously a pro giants crowd. There were obviously more giants fans in the crowd. There was a buzz in the crowd. Mm -hmm. You know, there was excitement in the crowd. Some of it was stray hand and some of it might've been, you know, whipping the towels around Mm -hmm. and, and some of it is just, you know, Eagles giants, you know, mm-hmm. which which is always a game that gets people pumped up. But what I wrote at Big Blue View was, you know, sitting in the press box. Obviously, we can't hear and feel the crowd the way that you can when you're sitting out there because we're we're inside mm-hmm. where we were warmer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> rub it in, but, rub it in. Yeah, there you go. But uh, but. You you could see that there was energy out there. You could it, it yeah. felt like the best MetLife Stadium atmosphere for a Giants game in a long, long while. Yeah, I don't think that's an overstatement at all. I definitely think that that feels accurate. I don't know if it was uh, a combination of like you said of Strahan firing up the crowd at halftime. It was just playing the Eagles, always a division rival, and it being a cold game, getting it's almost December. So even though it didn't really have strong playoff implications, it felt like in another time it would have. So it was easy to just kind of really fall into feeling that it that it just really mattered a lot. And I think we just never really went into it expecting to win necessarily because the Eagles were sort of trending up and they had the second best rushing offense in the league coming into the game. And um, the giants were able to just after a tumultuous week show up. I mean, some of, some of the team didn't show up, but some of the team did. And so it was actually just, it was unexpected and more exciting. I think than we anticipated. Yeah, it was. And and I don't know if you caught it last night or this morning, but, I got a huge, huge kick out of Darius Slayton taking to Twitter last mm-hmm. night to I saw that to troll Eagles fans for basically getting you know getting serenaded by by Giants fans as as they left the building. I got a huge kick out of a Giants player 
enjoying that sight and that sound. Yeah, because I think it's it's not really common these days too, especially the Philly fans, because that's not far at all. I really thought it would be overrun yesterday. And I remember looking around at one point and not seeing a lot of green. You know, when Philly did something something good, there wasn't an overwhelming amount of cheering. And, you know, there's various reasons for why that might have been, but it was nice while home at MetLife which home wins have been few and far between just in general. But to pick up another one this season is was just a good feeling and created some good momentum, I think. Yeah, believe it or not, Giants fans may not realize this, but believe it or not, your New York Giants have now won three straight home games. Yeah, crazy stat. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that is the first time that has happened since 2016. But the Giants have won three straight home games. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, you you can you can chuckle and say, "Well, they beat the Panthers and they beat the Raiders and they beat the Eagles." But the reality of it is, all three of those teams currently have more wins than the Giants do. Mm-hmm. So those are all good, you know. So those are all good quality wins. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think for a Giants team that has also dropped some games in embarrassing fashions at times, those are wins that you'll definitely take. I mean, there's I think if we look back at the Falcons game, at the Washington game, so many what ifs you can ask yourself as you as the season progresses. And so if we had dropped these games, I think those get added to the list. And so the fact that they are on kind of the opposite side and we actually you know, however pretty or not pretty it was, the fact that the result was actually in favor of the Giants is, I just think, something we should take and run with, especially after such a bad performance against the Bucks last Monday night. Very true, Em. And we'll get into, you know, some of the, the good, bad, and ugly of, of, of that performance in a minute. But right before we started to record the show, I posted a piece at Big Blue View basically going over Two things, draft order, mm-hmm. playoff possibilities. And basically, you know, th- the question is, at this point in the season with six games to go, what should fans of the New York Giants care more about? Because you've got two top 10 picks, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, at four and seven, you're one game out of the last wild card spot. So, so the question is, what do you care more about? Yeah, I saw that you posted that right before we started. And I was like, this is a really, really good question. Because I think this is a, as a fan is one of the hardest spots to be in. You know, do we root to win? Do we root to lose? There's not a lot of the season left at this point either. So it's not like it's the start of the season and you can kind of pick a side and run with it you know, we're more than halfway through. So it's a good question. I, of course, have to say that I, I think you root to win always. I just think that that's, that's ultimately what you need, the side that you need to fall on. But I mean, it is, it is interesting for sure. It's like kind of a predicament that the Giants find themselves in. I don't know how you feel about it, Ed, if you came to a conclusion in your piece. Oh, I, I came to a conclusion on this a long, long time ago, Em. And and I didn't really put my feelings into the post, but my feelings are, are this. You always root to win. 
you always root to win. If you root to lose, you turn in your fan card. I don't mm-hmm. care. You turn in your fan card because winning on any given Sunday is always better than losing. I mean, that's what these guys pour their heart and souls out to try to do is to try to win. And I mean, how can you not feel really good for a player like Chris Myrick, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and for a player like Aaron Robinson, who, who was involved in a couple of plays at, at the end of the game last night. How, so, I mean, the giants got contributions from some, some really unlikely sources. Mm-hmm. And I always say this, you know, you may get, you may get the fifth pick in the draft. You may get the eighth pick in the draft. What difference does it make? Because it's up to you to get it right. You're still going to have an opportunity at a really good player. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just just scout and do your due diligence and get it right. Yeah. You know, because, because you can screw up the fifth pick just as much as you can screw up the eighth pick. And you can hit a home run at the eighth pick just as much as you can at the fifth pick. Mm-hmm. So just do your work and get it right. Right, right. And I think that good teams will always find ways to win. And so I think, like you said, if you can just establish a winning culture and energy, especially for a Giants team that has been so in flux. I mean, it's only Joe Judge's second season. Obviously, Jason Garrett was just fired midseason. You would imagine more changes coming this offseason. So I think if you can just establish just a precedent of winning, then other things fall into place a little bit because guys realize that they can depend on themselves. They can depend on others. Maybe you find depth where you didn't expect to find any depth. And I feel like that, I mean, the intangible impact of that is so much more important necessarily than acquiring more draft capital or a higher draft order or something like that. You know, as we do this uh, on YouTube, uh, you know, we're live streaming and and folks are dropping in comments. And I just have to mention that that Bob Hill just dropped in a comment that said, I'd be fine with the last pick. And I think everyone would agree with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think I think on that we can all agree. And if you if you want to argue about that, you don't like the Giants to begin with and you shouldn't be right. here. Right. Like you said, that's when you turn in your fan card a little bit. And that's, I mean, that's why even yesterday, though it wasn't a full stadium, the people who showed up showed up. I think that's why you show up even when you're not really sure and you don't really expect much. You just have to keep showing up and results and wins. That's even better. And I do have to agree with something Michael Strahan said during his halftime speech yesterday and I'm guessing that that you guys probably sat there and and, and watched the the Strahan festivities. And he mm-hmm. said, at the mention of John Mara and Steve Tisch, there was an undercurrent of booing, which was typical and to be expected. And Strahan basically responded to that by saying, "I know that the franchise is down right now, but it will turn. It will get better. You know, there will be good days." you know, ahead. And, 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 and I still say, look, the giants have won four super bowls. They've been in five. Things have been dark for too long, Mm -hmm. but there's a whole lot of fan bases out there, probably outside of new England 
and maybe Pittsburgh mm-hmm. that would trade places with Giants fans in a heartbeat for, for what they've accomplished over the last five decades. Right. Absolutely. I think, you know, Strahan, it's so funny to compare how much Strahan said to how much Eli said when his jersey re- was retired because Strahan, Strahan just kept going. But I did appreciate that he said that at the end, just a little bit of perspective and kind of just a reminder to Giants fans that this isn't what every fan base experiences. And there's there's a sense in which you just kind of need to maintain perspective. It hasn't been great recently, but it could be a lot worse. You know, we could be in Detroit or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, we could be in Detroit, but but thank goodness. Thank goodness we're not. So let's let's talk a little bit about what we saw on the field yesterday. And and I'm actually going to start with the defense. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole focus was on Freddie Kitchens and, and the mm-hmm. offense and all of that. But let's talk about the defense. Now, the Eagles came in, you know, having won three or four, I think, averaging 34 and a half points a game over their previous four games. I think they scored 40 the week before they played the Giants. Mm-hmm. But I was completely mystified. Now, the Giants secondary, I give them all the credit in the world. You know, three interceptions, a, a fumble recovery, playing with playing without Logan Ryan, playing without Darnay Holmes and Adoree Jackson in the second half. I give them all kinds of credit because you've got guys, Julian Love playing out of position Aaron Robinson playing out of position in his third NFL game and being involved in the two most critical throws of the game, you know, Mm -hmm. at the very end, whether they were drops or pass breakups or what they were incomplete. And I think that's what matters. Um, You had J.R. Reed, who was on the Rams practice squad a few weeks ago, playing the entire second half. You had Steven Parker, who's a, a practice squad elevation and, and I actually, I looked up as I was frantically writing and typing during the last Eagles drive. I looked up and I see this flash of 38 come in front of me. And I'm like, who in the world is 38 on the Giants? And I had to look at my flip card to figure out that his name wasn't even on the flip card. And I was like, oh. His name's not even on the card. That means it's got to be Stephen Parker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because he was a practice squad elevation, and and, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get listed on the flip card. Right. But um, that's funny. But give them all kinds of credit for competing okay. and making enough plays to help the Giants win. But M, what on God's green earth were the Philadelphia Eagles doing yesterday on offense? I kept turning to Patty Trina on my mm-hmm. right and the Eagles writers on my left and saying, you know, if Philadelphia would just take the forward pass out of the playbook, mm-hmm. they'd be blowing the Giants off the, off the field. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was very it's almost a situation I think us as Giants fans can really relate to because it was just such an such a confusing play choice. I mean, I, you know, was following Twitter after the game and a lot of the players in the secondary were saying how they were trying to force Jalen Hurts to throw the ball, um, which makes sense because the Eagles came in 
to the game with one of the strongest rushing offenses in the league. So that, that makes sense. But I don't know why the Eagles as a coaching staff and as an offense just kind of rolled with that too. I mean, Hertz had 31 passing attempts and I mean, 129 yards, no, no touchdowns, three interceptions, as you've already said. And it was just, it was confusing that they just kept throwing the ball and the Giants clearly took took advantage of it. I'm not really sure why the Eagles decided to to go that route. I don't think we defend them nearly as well if they stick with their run game. I mean, Boston Scott especially is usually a Giants killer, and we didn't see him in, really until the second half. I was like, where where's Boston Scott? I expected to hear his name all the time, and it was just it was strange because it was the Eagles' strength going into the game regardless, and then they really didn't utilize it, and I feel like the giant secondary was always the strongest part of our offense and they didn't really I don't know they just played right into it it was it was very strange I'm not sure why they did that yeah it was it was weird and because you know the Giants Julian Love after the game said you know we wanted to make Jalen Hurts beat us throwing the ball mm-hmm. and the thing of it is the Giants never really made the Eagles throw the ball. When the Eagles ran the ball, they ran 33 times Mm -hmm. for 208 yards. They did basically whatever they wanted to do on the ground. Mm -hmm. They simply chose to throw the ball. They simply chose to do what the Giants wanted them to do. And you're absolutely right. The Giants took advantage of that. Darnay Holmes made a play. Tay Crowder made a huge play at the end of the half. Um, Xavier McKinney made a big play. You know, they, they knocked away a few other passes. They took advantage of, of the Eagles for some strange reason, you know, leaning into their own weakness. Right. That's, I think that's a really, really good way of putting it. They leaned into their own weakness because I don't, I don't know that the Giants won this game as much as the Eagles lost it too. I mean, they were in the red zone multiple times and the, you know, the Giants, two of their interceptions came in the red zone. So it prevented not even a touchdown from happening, but even a field goal, which would have made a difference in such a low scoring game. And they, the Giants secondary was able to stop all of that, which thank God, because our our offense clearly, clearly still can't score a lot of points. Um, but I feel like that was really the difference makers that they not only did they come up with these big plays, but they came up with these big plays in really big situations that just completely halted the Eagles momentum to the point where they couldn't even come away with a field goal, which was enough in a 13 to seven game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Giants' offense a little bit. Obviously, I think about ten minutes after we finished our show a week ago, the the Giants the the news broke mm-hmm. that the Giants were firing Jason Garrett, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh man, do we have to do oh, wow. this whole show over again? 
And I just said, I just spent so much of the show talking about. I I I, I said I said the heck with it. I said I'll just let it go and I'll talk to Mark Schofield about it later, which is what I eventually did. Mm -hmm. But um, but the Giants, as they pretty much had to, they they had to move on from Jason Garrett, and. I think it was completely unfair and unrealistic for anyone to expect that overnight, you know, Freddie Kitchens and the collaborative efforts of the New York Giants offensive staff were going to wave some sort of magic wand and, and turn the Giants into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Right. You're talking about a short week interrupted by Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. with mostly Jason Garrett's playbook, which is what they're going to have to run the rest of the year because you can't at this mm-hmm. point reinstall you know, an, an entire offense. Mm-hmm. It wasn't realistic you know, to expect miracles on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get miracles. No. But, but at, no. least we, at, least, at least we got something that at times was functional. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, in the wake of the Garrett firing, it was interesting to see, you know, what it would look like with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays and, and how they would adjust. And I think the, the most notable thing we can really say about it, because I mean, 13 points is not anything to get excited about. This is still less than, the you know, the average points the Giants were scoring when Garrett was the offensive coordinator. But I think as a Giants fan, you were happy to see that Kenny Galladay had seven targets yesterday and Saquon Barkley had 13 rushing attempts yesterday. And these players that you wanted to see more of, and we were always frustrated about not seeing, actually were more active participants in the game. And it felt like when there was a big play on the line, the players that you actually wanted to be on the field were on the field, which was just not even the case in recent weeks. And it was, you know, after the Buccaneers game, That's why we were so frustrated that Andrew Thomas, an offensive lineman, caught the only touchdown. That wasn't the case yesterday. At least these big name players were getting targets. And, you know, I mean, Barkley still wasn't it wasn't a huge game overall, but at least we were just seeing more of these guys. So it sort of felt like Kitchens, if anything, heard some of the complaints from Giants fans. Right. There were. You know, the targets for Galladay, there were 17 touches overall for Barkley, including his receptions. It's kind of ridiculous that he had a 32-yard run yeah. and then totaled eight yards on his other 12 carries. Right. But <laughs> no, it's no, that's 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 not ideal. That's that's not the way that you draw it up. But but the Giants used Daniel Jones legs just enough yesterday. They did. I think they were 0 for three throwing the ball to Galladay in the red zone, but they at least threw the ball to him three times. They, they Mm -hmm. tried, which I think going into the game, he had only seen one red zone target for the entire season. So that was better. Um, you know, they didn't turn the ball over. I think there was maybe only one play in the entire game where the ball was was up in the air and, and where there was danger involved mm-hmm. in that. I think there was a ball where the Eagles actually caught it but stepped out of bounds. Mm-hmm. But um, so, so you know, they, they still 
because of this offensive line, they cannot run the ball consistently. They simply cannot at this point run a downfield passing game because they can't keep Daniel Jones safe long enough to throw the ball. You know, they, they can get away with some mid range passes. They threw a couple to to Kenny Galladay, you know, 15, 18 yarders yesterday, but they can't, you know, take the deep drop and throw the ball, you know, 40, 50 yards down the field. They just can't keep Daniel Jones clean long enough to do that. Mm -hmm. So they're handicapped. I mean, the only, the only offensive lineman they have who I think is probably part of their starting group next season is Andrew Thomas. So until they fix that, until they fix that, this offense isn't going to, to be what it could be, but I at least thought, thought we saw some, some better signs yesterday that at least they had a plan. Right. Right. And a plan that we had always kind of anticipated before the season even began, because obviously the offense has been so plagued by injuries, but players were still out yesterday. I mean, Tony was out. Shepard was out. This still wasn't even an offense in its full form, but it was comforting, I think, at least to see that the players who were healthy, you know, Galladay, Galladay made one catch and my grandfather goes, okay, that's $10,000 a catch or something. Like <laughs> It's an ongoing joke because we've paid him or overpaid him so much that we don't yet know if he's worth it. So it was at least comforting to see him get involved in the game and to just see more of Barkley, even though, like you said, it was not, it wasn't a great performance overall in his second game back from injury, but it was like, okay, at least we're using the playmakers in ways that we anticipated, especially at a time when our offense is still not at its full, full speed. It was, you know, at least we were um, kind of utilizing what we did have. Yeah. So, and hopefully we'll see how it evolves over the next six games. Like I said, I mean, I think expectations have to be tempered because aside from Andrew Thomas, you're still using what is basically a second team offensive line, Mm -hmm. which I know people, and we'll get into Dave Gettleman here in a minute, Em, but I know people want to kill Dave Gettleman for this. And, And, and the plan was the plan that the Giants had for the offensive line was a huge gamble entering the season. But and it but it, it got blown up by injuries, so we'll never know if that would have worked. And it's been scramble mode all year just to, you know, just to try to to find a competent offensive line. But the reality is you're never going to be able to run the offense that you really want to run when your first consideration always has to be, can we actually block this play? Right. Right. I think that's the frustrating thing. Like you said, the, the offensive line has rotated so much that I think even, you know, when we've done this podcast on, on Monday, sometimes we're actually, you know, we give them some credit because they show up in ways that just a second string, essentially offensive line, you don't really expect them to show up. And in some ways they've, you know, they've kind of delivered on what can be asked of them with a line that's always rotating is not who we expected to see at all heading into this season. 
Um, and so obviously that's not, you know, that's not going to help the Giants. That was a huge thing we said about Daniel Jones heading into the season too. Like, how can we really evaluate him without a strong offensive line? And we thought we were going to have one and now we don't. And it just seems to be ongoing, but in some ways they've stepped up more than we could have expected. And then in some ways, I also think it's something you need to keep in mind as a Giants fan that this is by no means the plan. You know, it's not like this was the plan and it didn't work. This was never the intention. And now we're just trying to make it work. And in, in some ways they actually have. I mean, it's not it's not pretty, but it could be a lot worse, too. So and hopefully there's kind of nowhere to go but up once we can actually execute a plan that Gettleman or maybe not Gettleman, you know, comes up with in the offseason. Right. And that leads us into uh, having to talk a little bit about the general manager before we call it a show. And I think there was probably much rejoicing in Giants Nation on Sunday morning when Ian Rappaport of, of NFL Network reported that Gettleman is unlikely to return as general manager next year and is probably likely to retire, which I think is maybe the ideal scenario for the Giants because I know they don't want to fire him. I mean, I know John, you know, he's, he's been part of the Giants organization for, for far too long and the Giants are, are so loyal to their employees. I know they don't want to fire him, but I think, Mm -hmm. I think there had to be great joy in, in Giants nation uh, you know, when, when Gettleman, you know, when, when that report came out, I mean, I'm just curious what your reaction was. Yeah, that was not surprising, obviously. I mean, we've talked about that a lot that we didn't really expect to see Gettleman, you know, making moves in this upcoming draft or or anything like that, any moves this off season. But I think it still did take me aback just because like you said, he has been with the team for so long that the actual, you know, the idea of him not being around is something you can think about and talk about, but him actually not being around is, is different. Is just kind of a different thing to swallow. So the fact that it's already coming out, I mean, clearly there's a lot of shuffling going on um, at the top of the organization, you know, in the wake of the Garrett firing, it seems like there's, there's just a lot of conversations happening right now. So it's not surprising, but I do think it'll be interesting to kind of to see who is who his replacement is and just kind of who's going to steer the organization moving forward with, like you kind of mentioned earlier, what with what will be a good amount of draft capital next season. So right. And I th- I think Em, I think it's becoming increasingly obvious that Joe Judge is going to be back next year. Yeah. I I yeah. think the Giants from the time they hired him said they had to give him more than two years. They had to be more patient than they were with, with Pat Shermer and with Ben McAdoo. And, and my take has been all you want to see from Joe judge over the next few games and including yesterday, you want to see signs that he's growing and learning and getting better as a head coach. And, and, you know, that's what I'm looking for, but I think, so I, I think the reality of it is that whoever comes in as general manager next year is going to inherit Joe Judge mm-hmm. and is probably going to inherit Daniel Jones mm-hmm. because of you know, both contract-wise, cap-wise, 
because of the fact that there isn't a quarterback that you really would, you know, bang the table, you know, and, and, and trade your franchise to go get, you know, in, in the top 10 of the draft. I think by default, Jones is the guy at least next year. Or so, so you've got a GM who's probably going to inherit the quarterback and the head coach for at least a year. Definitely. My, my, my hope is no offense to anyone inside the Giants organization right now. My hope is that the Giants cast a wide net. My hope is that they go outside, you know, and, and hire someone, you know, to, uh, to come in and take a really fresh look at the organization. So that's how I hope this goes. I hope they don't hurry, you know, to hire, to hire, you know, someone from within or, or that they haven't already, you know, decided this is the guy that we want. So, so that, that's, that's what I hope. I don't know if you have, uh, if you have thoughts on, on what you would like to see in the next general manager, you know, if the report that Gettleman is, is going to retire turns out to be correct. Right. I I actually think, I think um, I'm reminded of, uh, the Washington football team a little bit because Ron Rivera coached his first season. And then after that, Washington started to make general manager moves and started to make more front office hires after that first season. And so um, it was not, maybe not necessarily the order it always goes in, but I think it, it, I mean, I'm not saying Washington is a winning team, but I, th- I thought it was just kind of an interesting formula and way of going about it because I at least appreciated the, the patience that they practiced. And I think that kind of relates to what you were just saying, that there doesn't need to be a rush. You, you know a little bit of what you're working with now with your head coach. You know a little bit about Daniel Jones with, you know, with each passing game. And I think, you know, if, if what Ian Rappaport reported is, is true, it's clear that the Giants are thinking regardless, you know, what, of, what, of what happens. They're definitely thinking about change. And I think that's in some ways it's good that they're already, that's already out there now because it shows that maybe they'll think about it for even longer. Because I, I agree with you. I just think that while we obviously need a general manager, there should be hopefully be no rush. Hopefully we can really assess and talk to different people and get different perspectives and, and maybe shake things up a little bit in a good way. I think that could be, that could be what we really need is just not rushing into it and finding someone who can hopefully stay a while and kind of create some stability on a team that has just been really in flux in recent years, as far as head coaches and coordinators go I think that should be the goal is try to find someone who can who can stay all right M. it's a it's a victory Monday Giants fans please remember to subscribe to us on on YouTube also subscribe to us on on Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications if, if that's where you're listening to us today and there's only uh only two more home games yeah. believe it or not crazy it's crazy. I know there'll probably be cold ones too, but yes, it's crazy. It's going fast. Colder for you than for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just look up at the press box and wave. <laughs> there you go. All right, Giants fans, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye bye. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs. 
you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Claude3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.